Morning. Morning. Welcome to uh, our nine o'clock service on this uh, first Sunday of the year for us. Hope you had a great uh, holiday time. I uh, did as well. Was not did not leave town, but enjoyed the time. I was talking to a friend of mine um, just this week, catching up. I said, "How was your Christmas?" And he said, uh, uh, "Good." He said, uh, "But I, I gained nine pounds." And he was serious. And I said, "You gained nine pounds." He said, yeah, I gained nine, not 11, you know, not five. I gained nine pounds. And I said, how did you gain, in, just in a week or so, you know, between Christmas and New Year's? He said, yeah. I go, how is that possible? He said, well, my kids were home and, um, you know, we had these big meals every day and we had cookies and pies and things that we don't normally have. And he said, if they're there, I have to eat them, <laughs> you know. And um, I gained nine pounds. And I said, wow, what are you going to do? You know, and he goes, well, now they're gone. We don't normally buy that stuff. And, you know, eventually these things will, uh, the pounds will come off. But, you know, it was a harmless example, that story, of what can be a, at times, a harmful truth uh, that we all experience, which is this, that what we want as often, uh, or I should say rarely, is it um, what we need, right? What we want, whether that's in, you know, what we want to eat, how we want to spend our time, is not often what we need. And this is also true um, in our relationship with God. The only faith, uh, the only church that can change your life is the one that will challenge you. To make choices in your life, like even being here this morning is just one small choice, but to make choices that you wouldn't necessarily be naturally inclined to make. And some of those choices um, will be uncomfortable, but it is the only pathway to the life that God has designed for us to live. So the challenge for us, I want, us, I want to challenge all of us to get uncomfortable uh, as Jason mentioned, in the context of our faith over the next five weeks. And I want to begin this with a message titled Uncomfortable Authority uh, as we think about the Bible and how God's Word, uh, the role that it should play in our lives. So the passage I want to look at, very well known. Some of you could quote it uh, in 2 Timothy. We have a copy of the Bible open up near the end of your Old Testament, one of the small letters near the end. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, uh, we will read. These verses are perhaps the strongest statement, some you know, Bible uh, commentators would say, uh, uh, in the Bible about the Bible itself, right? What is the Bible? What role should it play in our life? Is it, what does it mean when we say the Bible is an authority? 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says these words. All scripture is God-breathed, and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, there's a, in that statement, there's a, probably a series of messages we could uh, talk about, and I'm not going to dive into that all. I just want to highlight three truths as we talk about uncomfortable authority and we think about our relationship with the Bible. And the first one is this. The scriptures are God's words for your life. Right? You should think about that statement. The scriptures are God's words for your life. We use this term, maybe it depends how long you've been a Christian. 
or if you grew up in a Christian home or went to Christian schools, the authority of Scripture, right? We talk about the authority of Scripture. What does it mean, the authority of Scripture? Use that term. Does it mean, you know, that the Bible is a reference book, right, on right and wrong? Does it mean that the Bible is a, is a standard, right? It's sort of the standard to talk about God or religious matters. I would say to you, no. You know, kind of like uh, uh, the, the Grey's Anatomy is for a, a medical student, if they still use that, you know, or the joy of cooking is for a chef. You know, you just kind of come to it. I got a problem, and my problem is X, or my problem is Y, and I go to the Bible, and I look for an answer. I would say to you, the Bible is not, that's not what it means when we use this term, the, the authority of Scripture. The writer, there's something unique about this, the version I'm reading is the NIV. All scripture is God-breathed. Now, if you've been around for a while in the Christian church like me, this is a more of a recent translation, recent relatively speaking. I think that this might have been done in the early 2000s and, and it was done uh, first in the early 70s, the Na New International Version. But I grew up as a Christian, as a college student, all scripture is inspired by God, right? And that's the word that's used. But I think in this case, Often the translators, when, they, when they're retranslating the Bible over time, they're looking, the term is dynamic equivalence. They say, well, words don't mean what they used to mean, so we're looking, we want to get to the truth of the Bible, right? It's not about what it meant in the 16th century or the early 20th century. We want people to all know the truth in what it means for them. But in this case, when they retranslated 2 Timothy 3.16, they actually went back to the sort of an old, more wooden translation because the word, you know, when I talk about the, the scriptures are God's word for our life, the word, it's a single word that's translated God breathed is literally, the Greek word, it's a compound word and there's a prefix on the front of the Greek word for breathe, theo, and it's God breathed. And I think the translator said, listen, the word inspiration has taken on this sort of broader context in our culture. You know, we're inspired by, you know, uh, I don't know, a, a beautiful sunset by, you know, Oprah Winfrey, whatever the case may be, right? What does it really mean to be inspired? He said, listen, it's God-breathed. So what the Bible is saying is, it's what he's trying to say here, the writer, the Apostle Paul, is, listen, it's trying to say something about the nature of the Bible in the way that God works in our lives. I would say the authority of Scripture, to use that term, is a shorthand for about, uh, the, about God's authority exercised through the Bible. The real authority of Scripture, right, is not the 40 men who wrote it over the course of 2,000 years and three continents and all that's interesting. And I studied it in seminary and some of you ought to get a, a, great, a sense of the historicity of the Bible. But the authority of the Bible is not this book. The authority is the God who stands behind it. It is his authority. Remember at the end of John's gospel, John the writer is trying to communicate something. He says, listen, this is sort of, he's sort of, he's sort of saying this in, a, in a, a, an exaggerated way, hyperbole. He says, listen, Jesus did many more things that if I were to write all the things that Jesus said and did, good night, the whole world could not contain the books. But I'm writing what I think is really important for you to hear, John chapter 20. The authority of Scripture is about God's authority exercised 
through the scripture. That's why I'm sure the Apostle Paul uses this concept to, to, to bring your mind back to Genesis 1, right? Or excuse me, Genesis 2. God breathed and God created man and God created woman. And this is literally what it says in Genesis 2. Some of you have been reading that with us if you're reading 365. We just read it this week. And he said, listen, God breathed, breathed into the nostrils of man, that's how it says, and he became a living being, right? The authority of scripture, what it means, what we mean by that is about God's authority exercised through the Bible. Think about this. The Bible is fundamentally a story, right? And what I mean by that is not that it's a, it's a, it's, you know, it's, it's a Hansel and Gretel. I mean, what I mean by that is it's told in story form, Right? Now, we do theology. I, I, went, to, I went to seminary. We, we study sin, and we study God, and we study the blessed trinity, and we study sanctification and justification, and we do theology. We come to the Bible and say, we, we sort of organize it, and there's nothing wrong with that. But the Bible is not fundamentally a theology book. It's told in a story form, and it's not that complicated in this sense. It's creation. It's fall. It happens right away. It's Israel, it's Jesus, it's the church, it's renewal. That's the story of the Bible. It's an arc, it's a story. And throughout the course of time, people, not only non-Christians, but Christians, are in regularly invited to be a part of that story, even, the Bible says, to play a part in that story. This is what the Bible says, Right? The authority of Scripture, the authority uh, is, uh, is the authority of God speaking through the Bible into your life, guiding your life if you have ears to hear it. It is not about going to the Bible, which happens all the time, to, be, to find justification for your beliefs. See, this is what I believe, now I'm going to find a verse that validates it. Or that I'm going to validate my behavior, right? The Bible's all said this, but I, I'm going to find a verse that says it's okay to do this. Or I want to find a verse that's going to validate my political agenda. See, we do that. People do that. Churches do that. But that's not what the authority of Scripture says. What this passage is saying, I believe, the authority of Scripture, often uncomfortable, is that if you regularly read the Bible and you believe God is in it and God is behind it, not only is it possible for God to speak to your life through the words of Jesus, through the words of Moses, through the words of David. Not only is that possible, I would say to you, it ought to be a regular occurrence that God looks to you, Karen, and he says to you, and he says to you, you know, whoever you are, CJ, he says, I want to say something about you and about your life, and I'm going to speak it through the words of Jesus. I'm going to speak it through the words of David. I'm going to speak it through the words of Moses about your life right here and right now. This is what it means. It's the authority of God speaking through the scriptures. Now, we know, some of you are thinking perhaps, there are those who claim to hear things from God that they've probably never heard, right? Put words in God's mouth to, to, to get what they want, to prove their point, to advance their agenda, or they're just plain kooky, okay? Now, we know those people exist. That's not what I'm talking about not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about you and me having a, a, a genuine 
humble, reverent understanding that yes, these are historical stories in counts, in, in, in the God's interaction with Israel and God's interaction with the yearly apostles in the church, but that this is living and active and God speaks to you. His authority comes through these words and touches your life. And he can speak to you. You say, well, does that happen to you, Pastor? Let me tell you something. All the time. In fact, I would say this to you, that my problem is not that God speaks to me um, too little. He speaks to me far too much. I mean that. Just uh, yesterday, um, some of you, I hope, I hope you guys, as we start the year, Pete mentioned this in the video, I hope, first of all, you're reading the word of God at least every day, right? Now, we, 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 this year, we're, we started a, 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 you know, a, a, a um, 365 for 2017, 2018, sorry, 2018, and we're doing a chapter in the Old Testament, a chapter in the New Testament. And many of you, as Pete said, we're reading the book of Matthew and the book of Genesis. It's amazing. And I hope that you are doing it, not to check off a list, not to earn Santa Claus' favor with God, but so that you can hear God speaking to your life. This, yesterday, I was reading Matthew chapter 6 with many of you. And I ended up spending, I don't know, maybe 20 minutes, 30 minutes, just reading that amazing chapter of Scripture this great sermon on anxiety and on trust. And he talks about, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. He's talking about who are you actually worshiping? Who are you living for? When you pray, it's, it's, it's an analogy. It's, he's making a point. Go into your closet, right? Don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. He's saying, listen, ultimately, he's trying to elicit a kind of worship and a kind of trust in God. He's saying, listen, don't, he says, make sure that your eye is healthy, not unhealthy. And what he's saying there is, if your eye's unhealthy, it means you're looking out to the world to find validation and to find value and to find approval. And the healthy eye is one that has received from God who understands God's grace, who's not looking. I, I don't let my left hand know what my right hand's doing because I'm not looking for you guys to approve what I do. The only person who I'm seeking to approval is God. And the whole chapter is an invitation to grace, an invitation to trust. And as I was reading it, I, I just typed it, I'm sitting in front of my computer, and I typed this, anxiety, or, 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 or anxiety, let me see, I'm gonna write it, make sure I got it right. No, the antidote to the poison of anxiety is grace and trust. This is what it said. The antidote to the poison of anxiety is Trust in God and grace. Seek ye first his kingdom. And I just sat there and I began to think about my life and the things that where anxiety um, is doing a work in my life. And, and let me tell you something. 20 minutes, I barely got through, you know, part one in my own life. Got what God was saying to me. And I already had to read Matthew 7 today. What, what I'm saying is this. I said to myself yesterday as I was doing I said, listen, I could rip out Matthew chapter 6 take the rest of the entire Bible, put it in a drawer, and I could live my rest of my life if I really wanted to listen to God and listen to what's... Uh, I could live off of Matthew chapter 6 if I wanted to for the rest of my life. Okay? Do you see the Bible that way? Do I see the Bible that way? God's not looking just to tell you something. Okay? It's not just information. That's why some of us are so bored. We think it's information. Well, I don't need to know. The pastor can do the sermon. God's not looking to tell you something. He's looking to change you. It's very different. 
I don't know how many of you remember the, the television show, The Bionic Man. Oh, geez, boy, am I getting old or what? Right? It was a defining moment for me when I was in the, the third grade. You know the story? It's the story of a guy who is an um, astronaut, I think, and he gets in this horrible car crash, or a plane crash, not car crash, you know, uh, you know crash, kind of a, a, a satellite crash, and they decide, you remember that some of you do anyway, we can rebuild him. Look at Dave, all right? Better than he was, stronger, faster. Let me tell you something. It was a defining moment in my life. And you, you guys are in for a treat because I knew that many of you wouldn't know this show. So for one minute, watch this. Uh, okay. That was the golden age of television. Okay? You know, my sister, she won Modern Family. This is the, I mean, this not only, this changed, my, I would, after this show, I wouldn't, I would run from science to, you know, social studies, you know. I mean, it changed my life. No. Joking aside, though, in a sense, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, for training in righteousness so that the servant of God might be something other than he or she is today, right? That's really what this passage is saying. You come to the Bible not to be informed, not to be encouraged, just simply to have your mind changed. It's designed to change you, but you have to believe it, right? Right? You have to come with that conviction if you... I listened to this interview, these two pastors, both great respected names you would know. One's in his mid-60s, one's in his late 30s, and they were kind of talking about each other and their ministry. And the guy in his 30s, late 30s, he started this church with 100 people, now it's got 6,000 people, and this other sort of seasoned guy was saying, you know, you know, tell me about it. He goes, I've been to your church, and it looks a lot like mine. And I heard that you resisted, he was saying to this pastor, that although they have, you know, uh, more than one site, they, he resisted the video venue, and, 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 and he said, you know, uh, uh, tell me the secret of your success. He was, the older guy was asking the younger guy, he said, listen, 
He said, I've, I've been to churches, I've been around, and you know, I know some churches, and they, they, I've been to the churches where they spend an hour and a half doing worship music, not knocking it. And I've been to the churches where they, you know, they bring in, you know, the, 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 the NFL athletes and, 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 and they share their testimony. He just he said, listen, but let me tell you something. He said, I know what changed my life. And he said, what changed my life was the preaching of the word of God. And he said, so I just made a decision that we are gonna want, we're gonna focus on the preaching of the word of God, right? These, the authority of scripture, okay? The scriptures are God's word for your life. But second to that pastor's voice, heart of my message here, you must be convinced of the scripture's truth if you want to experience their power. Verse 14, but as for you, this is Paul speaking to Timothy, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of. Now, what it means to be convinced of is that you are completely certain, right? The problem with some of us is we're not convinced, right? We know what we've learned. We might be able to parrot back what you heard in a sermon or maybe as a kid what you've learned in Sunday school. But are you convinced, right? Are you completely certain that these are God's words, that God's authority speaks through those words and through those words he can actually make you better than you are, faster than you are, stronger than you are, make you something other than what you are, right? The, 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 the anxiety-ridden, you know, sin-challenged person that you are. You know, I, I, um, what this passage is saying is that the primarily, primary role of Scripture is not providing information simply about your problems or my problems, right? But that the primary role of Scripture is to be an agent in changing you, Right? That's what the scriptures are. It's an agent of change. I just want to read two verses. I'm not going to comment on them at all. I just want to read them, and I want them to wash over you. Okay? Isaiah 55, verses uh, 10 and 11. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, an analogy, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it, that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Hebrews chapter 4, verses uh, 12 and 13. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Anxiety, Matthew 6. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Nothing. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him for whom we must give account. You know, I've been, I've been in ministry 22 years, I guess, around there, uh, and most of my time, I've spent teaching adults, and I'm so grateful for that. Once in a while, I'll, you know, wander into a youth group or a, a, a kid's group, and, in the, and I'll tell you what, I have tremendous respect for people who do that because it's, 
it's easier doing working with adults. I don't know how many, I've been, I mean, only, if you've ever taught kids, some of you I know have, you know, you come in all excited and you say, today we are going to learn about, let's say it's, you know, this feeding of the 5,000 or Noah and the ark. And there's always a kid raises his hand. And then you say, and they go, we already know that. It's right? such an encouragement to a teacher, you know. Now, see, as adults, we're more sophisticated than kids, right? None of you would raise your hand. But see, you stink it anyway. Say, I already know that. But see, the real question isn't do you know it, but has it changed your life? Do you still struggle with the same behavioral sins that you struggled with five and ten years ago? Is your life still as anxiously, as anxiety-ridden as it was 10 or 15 years ago? Are you still looking to the world, in a manner of speaking, for your identity instead of uh, to the very words of God, right? Our beliefs, uh, or I should say our behaviors, very often betray our beliefs. If you really want to experience the change the Bible talks about, we need to come to the Bible not as a series of topics, right? How can I solve my problem? The Bible is the place that is supposed to facilitate whole life discipleship to Jesus Christ. And it only is gonna do that if you come to it believing it's God's words, believing not only that these are God's words, his authority speaking through these words, but as you are convinced of them, they bring about change in your life. You need to read them humbly and with an attitude of repentance. So let me just give you a couple quick how-to's if you're taking notes, right? How can you go from being a Bible reader to being a Bible-experiencing, life-change person, right? Couple simple ways, simple ways. Number one, these are very quick. You need to read the Bible from cover to cover, right? That's That's what we're doing right now. We're in Genesis, we're in Matthew. If you aren't, if you, some of you are way ahead of you, 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 you've been doing this for years, but if you aren't, listen, go onto our website, go onto our app, download the, 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 this very simple reading plan and join us, right? You need to read it cover to cover. And the reason you need to read it cover to cover is because um, it's only the whole that gives meaning to the parts. There are difficult things in Scripture, right? Difficult challenges that are only understood when you read the whole story, right? You need to read the Bible from cover to cover, right? It's not a cookbook. Number two, you need to read it in context. I mentioned this on Christmas Eve if you were here. You need to read the Bible in context. Before I know what the Bible has to say to me, I need to know what it said to David, what it said to the church at Colossae, what it said to uh, the disciples, right? You need to read it in context. You need to understand that. That's why Bible study is important, not just Bible reading. Read it cover to cover. Read it in context. And most importantly, you need to listen and respond prayerfully, like I was talking about yesterday, right? It's a living word. Is it, what is God saying to you? I mentioned this, I think it was in the Nehemiah series, Mother Teresa, but it's worth repeating. Prayer is not asking. It's about putting yourself in the hands of God and listening for his voice in the depths of your heart. Let me say it again. Prayer is not asking. It's about putting yourself in the hands of God and listening for his voice in the depths of your heart. This is what Bible reading is supposed to be, right? What does God have to say to you through his words 
in Jesus' words, Paul's words, David's words, Peter's words, you know, Nehemiah's words. What does God have to say to you in the depths of your heart? That's what the Bible is. And allowing God to bring about that change in your life. Last point, which is really a tip to next week. Scripture is best understood in the context of community, right? Let me just read these verses. Verse 14. But as for you, verse 14 of um, 2 Timothy 3. Paul speaking to Timothy. Continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of. Watch this. Because you you know those from whom you've learned it speaking not only of himself but of his, of, his, of his family, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. The, the greatest safeguard to a, you know, uh, uh, each to his own interpretation of the scripture is another person, right? It's, a, it's, it's being in a community who can reflect back to you as you talk about what God is saying to you and speaking to you and how he is challenging you, it's done in community. Now for Paul, or excuse me, for Timothy, it was Paul and it was even his, apparently some of the members of his family. Who is it for you, right? Some of us, I have this conversation all the time. I don't like small groups and you know, I'm, uh, people don't like me and I'm a do-it-yourself. Let me tell you something. If you are not willing to submit yourself, right, and all your imperfections and all your foibles and all your bad attitudes to community with other people who can be involved, you're not gonna grow as a Christian. It's called the body of Christ. Now, for, for Paul, it was Timothy. Who is it for you, okay? That's where we're headed next week. Uncomfortable authority, it starts here.